Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, over the course of these last couple of months, we've been working through a series of messages that we've called Seven Letters. It's because we've been looking at seven letters in the book of Revelation that Jesus transcribed. He, he gave them to the Apostle John to deliver to churches in a part of the world called Asia Minor. Now, a couple weeks ago, we skipped the fifth letter. We went from number four to number six and felt God was leading us in that direction. We're going to come back to the fifth letter today in Revelation chapter three. It was written to a city called Sardis. Now, Sardis was a city in Asia Minor, which is now modern day Turkey. It had been at one point the capital of what was known as the Lydian Empire. It was a place of great wealth. It was a very notable city. But by the time John's writing this letter, most of the luster was gone. It was great in name and history only. And they were living off the glory days of time gone by. Now, Jesus does something kind of different with this letter. Usually he starts out by giving them some kind of affirmation. He says, hey, this is what I like about you. And, and then he goes into some kind of encouragement for them to change something. He, he doesn't do that in the letter to this church in Sardis. Instead, as he writes to the city of Sardis in that church, he goes right to what the issue is. Now, remember, these are letters that Jesus is giving to a guy in isolation for a church in crisis. Sound familiar? We probably should pay attention. Here's what Jesus says to the church in Sardis. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Did you hear what Jesus said to them? Like he doesn't pull any punches. He goes right to it. He says, you are a church whose faith is dead. And then he gives them some instruction on how they can bring their church back to life. He gives them some hope. And I, I want to look at this passage of scripture and see what Jesus says to them about being dead and about coming back to life. Because in doing that, I think we can see four faith killers. That's what I want to show you in this passage today. Four faith killers that if we're not careful, will cause our own faith to lose its life and find ourselves in a place where, where literally our faith could be dead. Now look, I want to encourage you with this today. As I read this passage, as I've thought of it over the last, the last week... It stirred something in me. It spoke to my life. And I would just ask, no matter where you're at in your relationship with God, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, or maybe you're just tuning into church today for the first time. Would you think about how these things play out in your own life today? We're going to look at four faith killers and some things we need to look out for. Here's the first one. Number one, the first faith killer that I want you to consider. Number one is your reputation that your reputation can actually be something that hinders your faith from growing. Look at this, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. 
Do you, do you see what he says here? He says, you have a reputation of one thing, but actually, though people think you're alive, actually, you're dead. Jesus says that you are taking care of your reputation and missing what really matters. You say, Chad, how can your reputation kill your faith? Well, here, I want you to consider this. Your reputation is killing your faith when what others think becomes more important than what Jesus thinks. When what others think about you becomes more important than what Jesus thinks about you, you find yourself in a place where your reputation is draining the life out of your faith. Look, look I want you to consider and think about something. The Bible tells us that anytime that we take our concern off of God and put it onto other people, it puts us in a place that is risky. In fact, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says it this way, that the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. There was a time in my life years ago where I was so concerned in this one instance about what other people were going to think about me, what they might do to me. And what was so significant in that time was that I had to come to terms with the fact that it didn't matter what other people thought. At some point, I had to be concerned with what God thought. That, that, that affects us when we think about peer pressure. That affects us when we think about our own self-image, when we think about the choices and decisions we make in life. It can be real easy for us to do those things based on what other people think when ultimately we want to consider what God thinks. Now, why was this dangerous for the church in Sardis? Jesus says you have a reputation that you're alive, but actually you're dead. And for some of us, that's, that's how we live out our faith in a way that people think we're alive. But actually on the inside, there's no life there at all. Years ago, our, our family took a, a trip over spring break one year to Washington, D.C. And one of the things we did while we were there is we went to Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. If you've been any kind of tourist spot really in the world, almost any place you can go that's a major tourist city, you're gonna find a Madame Tussauds. Maybe you've been to one and for whatever reason, we had some time to kill and we had these tickets. And so we went and we used them and we walked through this wax museum, which is really kind of a fascinating thing because Madame Tussauds claim to fame is they get all these famous people and they make wax figures out of them, politicians and royalty and, and celebrities and sports figures. They, they have all these wax figures that actually some of them are, are so lifelike. It's almost a little breathtaking and you, you stand there and it's hard to tell sometimes if that person is there or if that's just that wax figure to the point that I know there were certain places that as we went through our family just there were times where we just stopped and, and let other people walk by and didn't move hoping that we could trick them into thinking that we were somebody famous or, or something like that. Here's the reality though for some of you you have wax museum faith like you look really good you look like you're living it out you have a reputation that you're alive because most of your faith is based on what other people think about you and not so much what God thinks about you. See, let, let, me, let me flip the question for you. The question is not how do I look to them, it's how do I look to Him. The question we're asking is not how do I look to them, not how do I look to the people around me, but how do I look to Jesus? Like what's my reputation with Him? It, it's not so much what your parents think, it's not so much what your friends think. It's not the idea that you're one thing in one place and then you act differently in another. The question is, 
What is your reputation with God? You know, years ago, I can remember one Sunday, I, I had preached a sermon. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it was a prideful thing, but I can remember that as I walked into my office, I walked through the, the doorway into my office after a busy Sunday, and I remember thinking to myself, that was a, that was a good day. Chad, you, you preached a good sermon. And I remember thinking that to myself, and in that moment, I remember the Holy Spirit just dropping in my heart. You know, you've not once asked me what I thought about today. You know, I had gauged everything about what was effective based on what I thought was good and not on what God thought was good. My, my question to you is, what is your reputation with God? Because if I'm so focused on what other people think, eventually it's going to drain the life right out of my faith. Let me give you one more passage of scripture to consider on this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says this, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So many times we're focused on what humans think, but what we do, we do all that we do for the Lord. If your reputation is what's gauging the life in your faith, then your faith probably is in a place where it's not very healthy. One of the big things that can kill your faith is your reputation. A second thing, number two, is sometimes what can kill our faith, we'll, we'll call this your past. Number two, your past. Now, when I talk about your past as a possible faith killer, I, I don't mean your, your guilt or your shame or mistakes in the past. In fact, I mean it kind of in a very different way. Go back and look at what he says. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2 Wake up, he says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. He's saying to them, you are spiritually asleep. It's time for you to wake up. The problem with Sardis' past is not the shameful things they did. It was the great things they did. They were living off the glory days, but not moving anything forward into the future. This often happens when we become more focused on what happened in the past instead of what God wants to do in the future. Then our faith becomes anchored in the past and we're not growing and moving into what God might want to do for us today and tomorrow. Look, let me encourage you with this. Your past is killing your faith when who you were becomes more important than who you are. Think about this for just a moment. In your relationship with Jesus... If who you were, what, what happened in the past in your relationship with God is more alive than who you are and what God is doing in your life today, it could be that your faith is not that alive. Look, this is a really unique season that we are in. We uh, appear to be on the, on the end of coming out of, of this pandemic season of coronavirus. Things are beginning to open up more and more kind of each week here in Ohio. But I want to challenge you as that's happening, make sure that as our state is opening up, that your faith is opening up, that you engage in a new, fresh relationship with Jesus, not just what you had in the past. Look, it can be easy for us to live off of things that happened in our spiritual lives in the past. Uh, you might say, well, I, I grew up in church. Or I remember that retreat or that 
church service or my family are Christians or I know I can always go back to the church. I can always go back to Jesus in tough times. And can I tell you, that is not enough. I can't live off of my relationship in the past. I want, I want new life into the future. The reality is that astronomers help us to see that we live in a, in a world, on a planet that's a part of interstellar space that is just unimaginably immense. The nearest stars to us are trillions of miles away. And so we, we've invented this measurement to be able to gauge how far we are from these things that are, that's called light years. Now one light year equals the distance that light traveling at more than 186,000 miles per second. A light year helps us to see that in one year it's more than six trillion miles. Now this is an enormous distance, but it presents this interesting possibility. So just kind of work this out with me for just a moment. If a star that is 30 light years away from Earth exploded and died five years ago, we would not be able to tell that it was dead by looking at it for another 25 years. And though no longer in existence, the light from that star would go on shining as if nothing had happened. Can I tell you that that's a, that's a condemning analogy for some of our faith. Like we're living off of light that was in our lives years ago. And people are still seeing that. And maybe we're even still thinking that that's all we need. When actually on the inside, our relationship with God and our life has not had any new freshness or any new life in a long time. We can be dying on the inside and still shining a light from what God did in our lives in the past. And although we celebrate His faithfulness in the past, we just sang about the goodness of God. His goodness in the past is not enough for me. I hope it's not enough for you. I want what He's doing in my life today. My question is, are you shining yesterday's light? Like, is that all that others are seeing? Is that all that others are knowing is just the light of yesterday? Or are you alive that's shining something that is fresh and new and not just what you no longer have? Now, let me encourage you in this for a moment. God is always doing something new in our lives. I believe this. And for some of us, this is tough because during this season of time, we just focus on what we've lost. We have a tendency as people to just focus on what isn't right sometimes. When God says, I want to do something fresh, I, I want to bring some life to you. Look at this passage, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. In, in fact, some of you may need to jot this scripture down as we're in this season of time and come back to this. Remember this. The Bible says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Look, for some of you, it's time for you to say, I don't want to live off of yesterday's light anymore. I don't want to just celebrate what God did in the past. Jesus, I want you to do something new and alive in me. The city of Sardis not only had a reputation, but also clung to their past in such a way that it was killing them as a city. It was killing them as a church. And for some of you, it's killing your faith. It's time to say, God, do something new in my life. I also want to speak to some of you that God is doing something new in your life. 
The reality is that over the last few weeks, maybe for some of you, there's a, there's a new faith that's stirring in you. You're looking to God in a whole new way. Maybe for some of you, you're new to joining us here at Calvary. Maybe, maybe you've actually never even been in our physical building before. But over the last few weeks, you would consider yourself a part of what, what's happening at Calvary Church online. You're a part of our Calvary Church family. We want to welcome you and we want you to know that you are not alone. You're not alone in this season and you're not alone in being new and coming to the church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. We have a gift we want to send your way. We want to encourage you in this season and help you to learn more about what God is doing and what he can do in your life through Calvary Church. If you go to our website and there'll be a link in the comments on, on this video... If you go to the website, there, right on the front page, there's a, a part that says new here and a link you can click that says get connected. We would love to know more about you. And actually tonight is a really cool opportunity. We're going to do for the very first time something we call vision and values. Now we do vision and values on a regular basis that allows us to communicate to those who might be new to Calvary. Get this, our vision and our values. But tonight, for the first time, we're going to do it online tonight at 6 o'clock. And it's not too late for you to sign up. If you're new to the church, I hope, again, you'll go to our website, find the event that says Vision and Values, click there, sign up. It's free. It will be about 90 minutes and can't wait to share with you more about what God is doing here at Calvary. First two things, your reputation and your past can kill your faith. Here's the third thing. Number three. Your compromise. Number three, your compromise can kill your faith. What do you mean, Chad? Your compromise is killing your faith when you are making choices that drain your life instead of filling your spirit. Your compromise is killing your faith when you're making choices that drain your life instead of filling your spirit. Like for every one of us, on a daily basis, there's decisions that we make, little choices, big choices, that are either filling up our life with, with good things from God or are draining our spirit and causing us to miss out on what God wants to do. After Jesus says to them that they need to strengthen what remains, we've read that a couple times in verse 2. Look at what he says next to kind of tie this all in. Verse 3 of Revelation chapter 3. He says, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and, and here's a, here's a word we've come to before, and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Jesus says, look, as a church, there's some things, as individuals, there's some places in your life that you need to repent of. Things that need to change in how you live and in who you are. And oftentimes, they're not these big kind of terrible things. Oftentimes, there's these small compromises that we make that start to chip away at our life and eventually over time can come to a place where they kill our faith. Years ago, I have a friend who's a who's a specialist in, in taking care of trees. He's a tree surgeon and has been up and down all kinds of big trees, fixing them, cutting them down, doing all that kind of stuff. And he knows exactly what he's doing, exactly what he's looking for. And he came across one tree that to all looks on the outside, 
it appeared to be able to be able to be taken care of, but there was no signs that on the inside it was rotted and dead. And as he was up in this tree, that whole tree collapsed. He's fortunate to be alive, suffered major injuries and, and is, is doing well today. But I've often thought of that analogy that how many times do we think that something looks alive on the outside, but it's dead on the inside, and usually because of these little compromises, little things that were, for whatever reason begin to eat away at the structure of who we are on the inside. Jesus says that we need to repent we need to look to him, trust in him, ask for his forgiveness. If there are these little things or big things that are separating us from him and draining the spiritual life out of us, we need to come to him and ask for forgiveness. Chad, some of you are thinking right now, you have no idea what I've done. The choices, the mistakes, the regrets. This is a whole other aspect of when we talk about the past, right? That I've got things in my past that I wish that I had never done. Look, here's what the Bible tells us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I'll pause here for a moment because some of you need to write this down. Some of you need to memorize this. Some of you need to remember this process. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Look, in the reading and research that I've done, seen several things where people have said that during these last 10 weeks it's been easy for a lot of people to pick up or pick back up some practices that are unhealthy excessive drinking binging all kinds of unhealthy things porn challenges in relationships and and so many emotional struggles that this has been a season of time where for a lot of us We've, we've picked up or picked back up some things that we've even maybe rationalized and said to ourselves, well, it's a weird season or it's a weird time. Or, or when we get back out of quarantine, I'll go back to this or I will do this or that. Can I encourage you, if there have been these little compromises in your life before it eats away the foundation of who you are, would you choose to repent and give those things to Jesus and hold on to him Look, today's little compromises become tomorrow's big consequences. Today's little compromises become tomorrow's big consequences. So would you look to him? Because Jesus changes us. See, so many times we, we fail to remember that, that God said that when, when Jesus comes into our lives, we become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He will change and bring life to us. And so many of us need that but where it has to start is not with Jesus bringing the life. It has to start with us being willing to allow him to bring that to our lives, to open up to it, to accept the change, to say, Jesus, I want you to make me new. This is often the challenge. It's in our compromises that we miss what God's trying to do. Let, let me give you an example. In, in his book, Loving God, Chuck Colson writes about the story of a guy named Mickey Cohen. Years and years ago, in, in the Los Angeles crime scene, Mickey was a well-known gangster who at one point made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And his new Christian friends, they were, they were ecstatic. They were like, this is cool. Mickey's found Jesus. And yet they watched how over time his life never really changed. And finally somebody confronted him and said, hey, Mickey, I, I know you've put your faith in Christ, but 
man, your life's not really changed at all. Let me read you what Mickey said. He said, you never told me I had to give up my career. You never told me I had to give up my friends. He says, look, there are Christian movie stars and Christian athletes and Christian businessmen. So what's the matter with being a Christian gangster? If I have to give up all that, if that's Christianity, then count me out, he said. And eventually Cohen drifted away from his Christian faith. He, he ultimately died lonely and forgotten. And I want to read to you what Chuck Colson says about Cohen's life. Remember, this is someone who experienced the grace of God, but then failed to allow Jesus to come in, work in his life in those places where there were little and big compromises. And here's what Colson said. He said, Cohen was echoing the millions of professing Christians, though unwilling to admit it, through their very lives posed the same question. Look at what he said. Not about being Christian gangsters, but about being Christianized versions of whatever they already are and are determined to remain. When I read that, I was struck with this phrase that, that many of us want to be Christianized versions of whatever we already are. And we say, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. But I want to stay what I already am. And look, friends, that's not the way it works. He wants to bring new life into us. And at some point we need to say, Jesus, these little compromises, I repent and give them to you. Because if I don't, it's going to drain the life out of my faith which takes us to the fourth and last faith killer that we'll look at today. Number four is your comfort. Number four is your comfort. Go back and read what Jesus said again. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, this is Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds... You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Watch this. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Well, what's that mean? Another way to say that, many Bible versions will say Jesus says, I found your deeds to be not complete. At some point, the church in Sardis just kind of checked out. What's really interesting about this letter, and, and we've been going through these, right? We've, we've been through six of these letters. What's really interesting about this letter is Jesus never mentions heresy to this church. Like he does to several of the others. Some false teachings that they were believing. And he never mentions persecution to this church. Like he does to several of the others. The persecution they were experiencing. So this church had it relatively pretty easy. Like, like they weren't dealing with, with the zeal of false teachers. And they weren't do, dealing with the pain of persecution Instead, they had a pretty easy existence in this season. And here's what's important for us to note. Oftentimes it's in those seasons of easy existence that we drop our guard, that we fail to recognize what's going on around us and their comfort caused them to be complacent. Look, your comfort is killing your faith when it lulls you into being complacent. Your comfort is killing your faith when it lulls you into being complacent. Now look, there's, there's nothing wrong with living a life that is peaceful and quiet. There's nothing wrong with comfort. But when comfort begins to put us in a place where we begin to become complacent, then we have to consider, is our faith alive or are we just sleepwalking through this thing? 
Like, like one of our children, when they were young, kind of developed this practice of sleepwalking. I think all of them, have, and myself included, right, have, have probably done it at some point or talking in our sleep. But we had one child in particular that they would, and for a season of time, it was almost every night at the same time, we could kind of set our clocks by it, they would get out of bed and they'd start moving around. It even happened a couple of times in, in places outside of our home when we were away from, from, from town. And it was kind of frightening to see that happen. One time in particular, I can remember Ron and I were downstairs in the kitchen and we began to hear movement upstairs in the bedrooms, which was right over the kitchen. And we realized, oh, they're getting out of bed. It's, it's about that time they're sleepwalking. And I can remember, I said, well, I'll go, I'll go head them off at the pass. And so I, I moved towards the stairs while they're coming down the stairs. But I didn't realize they had made it that far yet. And as I turned the stairs, I saw them. They saw me. When they saw me, they were about, I don't know, five or six stairs from the bottom. They went, blah, like that. And I went, blah, like that. And, and this child literally, probably 10 or 11 years old, from the sixth step, just launched themselves in the air like a wrestler off the top of WWE ropes and into my arms, just jumping and flying through the air. I'll never forget just kind of the panic of, I got to catch this kid who actually had and has no recollection of this happening because they were moving through life asleep. That was the church in Sardis. How many times do you get in this passage the idea that Jesus is saying to them, you need to wake up. Stop going through the motions. You've lost your purpose in life. And I've not found your deeds complete. Look, God has a calling and purpose in our lives. But they had become comfortable and they had dropped their guard. Look, I challenge you today, consider what is God's purpose for your life. See, purpose in living brings meaning to life. And for some of us, this season of time has been difficult because we've lost our purpose or we've missed, misplaced who God has called us to be. Or maybe for some of us, we go, I don't, I don't even know what that is. Look, do not allow yourself in this season to lose out on purpose. Can I give you a challenge? And I want you to know, I'm asking this in my own life. I'm asking this in the life of our church. God, how do you want to use me today? What if when you woke up tomorrow... What if your opening question to God was, God, how do you want to use me today? That'll address all the issues we've talked about, right? God, not my reputation, what others think. But God, how do you want to use me? God, not what happened in the past, but how do you want to use me today? God, not the compromises and the little things that I can let inside my life that will drain the life from my spirit. But instead, God, what do you want to do in my life today? And God, don't let me be so comfortable that I'm just sleepwalking through life and miss what you're trying to say, miss what you're trying to do, miss how you want to use me to bless my family or encourage someone else or strengthen those who are weak. You know, I think about my friend Sue that we talked about earlier today that I know that every time I encountered her, and so many people have said this in the last few days, she spoke a word of encouragement to people to be open and say, God, how do you want to use me today? Why is all of this so important? Because the city of Sardis, the church in Sardis, had let their reputation and their past and compromises and comfort bring them to a point where they looked like they were alive, but they were actually dead. And I'm not so sure that they even knew it. Look, this, this change won't happen automatically. 
It will require something on your part. Which leads us to one last story. It's kind of a famous story in history about the most famous resident of the city of Sardis. About 600 years before John penned this letter to this church, the king in Sardis was a guy named King Croesus. He was the king over what was then known as the Lydian Empire. And he was known for his incredible wealth, for, for the, the fact that he had so much. He lived an opulent lifestyle. There was a river that went through the city that had deposits of gold all along it. And so this city, and especially King Croesus, was known for being extremely rich and for being arrogant. And at one point he decided, I, I, I want to extend my empire. I'm going to go and attack the Persians. So the Lydian Empire, under King Croesus, attacks the Persian Empire. They go, and the battle does not go well for Croesus. So he runs back to the city of Sardis. Now, fortunately for him, Sardis was way up on a, on a precipice. It was about 1,500 feet in the air. And on three sides, it was surrounded by these, these cliffs and these precipices with just one way up to the city that was winding. And when the Persians came to, to, to fight against Croesus and the Lydians, after they had started, they kind of picked this fight. Then the Persians come to attack them. Croesus stands in his palace. He, he looks down at the Persians and says to himself, there is no way for them to come and get me up here in the city of Sardis. To the point that they were so confident that there was one side of this precipice where they said no one can come up this way. And so they posted no guard. They posted no lookout. They dropped their guard. And the story is well known that one of the Persian soldiers who was on patrol looked up and when they did, they saw a Lydian soldier moving across that point whose helmet fell off and began to roll down that precipice. The soldier was able to go and pick up that helmet and when they moved along, this one Persian soldier said, if he can go down, I bet I can go up. And one by one, they began to go up at night and they infiltrated the city of Sardis. And when Croesus woke up the next morning, he found that what he thought was alive was all about to die. That the city had been infiltrated because with, with arrogance and comfort, they had left this one part of their city completely defenseless. I stress this and tell this story because that was not just the story of the city of Sardis. That was the story of the church in Sardis. And that's the story that Jesus wants you and me to hear today. Do not have a reputation that you're alive when actually you're dead. Chad, how, how do I help that? I think the, the best way, whether you're new to faith in Christ or whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, is to say fresh today, Jesus, I give you my life. God, how do you want to use me today? My life is yours. Oftentimes when we talk about this, we, we speak of Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord that he's the one who brings us salvation in our lives, forgiveness of sins. He helps us to deal with that guilt and that shame and that the, those things we regret in our lives. And we say, Jesus, I give my sins to you. Be my savior. And we also confess him as our Lord to say, Jesus, I give you my life. 
in you I find my purpose and my meaning. See, Jesus died on the cross to be our Savior and He rose again to be our risen Lord. And today, if you will start with this, if you will say, Jesus, I give you my life, it is the first step in walking away from a life that is dead to an existence that is truly alive. And I believe that it would be so good for all of us to pray a prayer today that simply says, Jesus, I give you my life. And so wherever you're at, can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? And in a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. it's It's a familiar, simple collection of words. But when we mean it from our heart, I believe that today it can do something new so that our reputation and our past and our compromises and our comfort do not keep us from life in Christ. But instead we say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you're a follower of him, or if today you want to begin or begin again a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today that you forgive my sin, be my Savior. I give my life to you my risen Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with us, especially for the first time, I'd encourage you, there's a link in the comments or you can go out to our website and under new here, one of the the links that you can click is a place where you can get to know more about Jesus. We'd love to help you with some resources and prayer to begin that relationship with him. So go ahead and, and, and click that and learn some more about that. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today this worship and this time in God's word. We believe that even though we can't be in God's house, he is in ours. I wanna pray a prayer of blessing with you. And then a couple of our team have some exciting things that they wanna share with you about what's coming up and some ways that we can partner and come together even in this weird time. And so Father, thanks for your word today. God, I pray a prayer of blessing over my friends. God, that you would help their lives and their homes to be places that don't just look alive, but are filled with your life. Lord, would you grant us your special favor and your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.